As we uh, continue our uh, road trip through the Word of God in 2012, trying to look at, uh, as a congregation, all nine major sections of the Scripture, and one of those major sections is a book that stands alone in the New Testament, the Acts. And in most of our Bibles, you look and see there, and it will say the Acts of the Apostles. I think another title for the book of Acts could be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that's very appropriate because this is Pentecost Sunday around the world in Christian churches as we celebrate the coming, the full coming of the Holy Spirit into the life of the church. In some ways, Pentecost is the birthday of the church of Jesus Christ as it began a very new day and the spread of the gospel. And the, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit is a book that just counts about, recounts the rapid fire a spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that the Son of God had come to bring life and peace and forgiveness and freedom and change lives forever and for eternity. And he did so through the power of his Holy Spirit that entered into the life of the church and into the hearts of individual believers. So at Pentecost Sunday, I wanted to do a message that just kind of encompassed the entire book of Acts. And there might be just a handful of you that when you look at a sermon outline like this and you just see a whole book listed instead of a couple of verses, you think, wow, this is going to be a really long sermon. Makes me a little nervous. Does Pastor Jeffrey not know this is a holiday weekend and some of us have places to get to and fun stuff to do? And, and so uh, don't get too nervous. We're going to hit some highlights at the book of Acts as we kind of conclude our time uh, preaching through the book of Acts and then uh, begin to move on this summer into the wisdom literature. So we look forward to that next week. Here's a few highlights from the book of Acts. The very first thing we recognize about the Holy Spirit and what he does is that he gives power. He gives power, and that was the promise that Jesus gave. We have a few of the last words of Jesus before his ascension into heaven in the first book of the chapter of Acts, where he told the disciples to go and wait for the promise that would come. And then he told them this. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and as we sing to begin the service today, to the ends of the earth. And then what we see happen in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, which Pentecost was something that was already going on. It was a Jewish festival and feast, a, a celebration of, of, of God's provision of crops and all of those kinds of things. And, and it came about 50 days after the Passover celebration. And so People were of all kinds and all nations were gathered back in Jerusalem to celebrate. And on that day of Pentecost, the disciples were found gathered together in what we know as the upper room and meeting together in one place. And, and what happened after that was an incredible demonstration of the power of God through a new, new way of His Holy Spirit being in the life of the believers in Jesus Christ. And what followed in Acts chapter 2, some of the incredible acts of power, some of those things were things that only happened on that first day of Pentecost. They were sort of like an inauguration. They weren't meant to be repeated every time. Okay, we gathered here this morning, and I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit was present among this body today. You didn't see any visible flaming tongues of, of flames of some kind resting on people's heads. Um, we didn't 
We didn't see or hear a mighty sound of a wind come through this building and the place literally physically being shaken like an earthquake. That didn't happen. And I didn't hear anybody uh, speak in an unknown language, uh, an unknown language to them. That didn't happen. Those were inaugural things that happened on that first day of Pentecost, not necessarily meant to be repeated every time people come together in Jesus' name. But it was an incredible demonstration of God's power. When you think about the fact that all these people from all these different nations, Jews from all around the world had come in to celebrate this, uh, this festival. And they were there from, from Asia, from Africa, from the Middle East, from up into what we now call Europe or, or Turkey and all of those places they were there. And it says that as the, as the believers came out being filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to give praise to God and to speak. And all of those people heard the message in their own native language. The disciples didn't know all those languages. The Holy Spirit of God gave them the power to speak that in that moment on that day. An amazing demonstration of his power. And then something else happened on that day. You can see it in in Acts chapter 2 verse 14. It says that then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. And he said, listen carefully all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. And they'd already been accused of that. He said, no, listen, this practical right here says, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's, too, it's much too early for that. No, what you see was something predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And he took them back to the Old Testament where the prophet said this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And Peter, the apostle Peter, who only, only a few weeks before had three times in the last time with a curse, with a swear word to emphasize it, said, I don't even know Jesus Christ, stands up in front of this whole crowd. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, a new and humble and yet bold Peter proclaims the good news about Jesus Christ. And it says that at least 3,000 came to believe on the Lord on that day. And then the church just begins to spread like wildfire. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that began to change men and women to have something new and so strong in their lives that they wouldn't have to repeat past things like denying that they even knew Jesus. During the um, the 1920s, there was a man named Ira Yates um, who uh, was struggling to just pay the bills, struggling to pay the, ins- the principal and the interest on, on the mortgage on his ranch. So he was in danger of losing that ranch. And uh, with little money for clothes or food for his family, like a lot of other people during that era in our country, he was even taking some government subsidy. And day after day, as his sheep went over the, the rolling hills out in the West Texas county of Pecos, Uh, I have no doubt that Ira Yates was troubled and wondering how he was going to pay his bills and provide for his family and was he going to lose his land and what was going to happen next. But then a a seismographic crew came uh, came into the area and they were from an oil company and they told him that there might be oil on his land and they asked permission to drill a wildcat well there on his ranch in 1926 
And Ira Yates agreed, and he signed a lease on that contract. And in the, the early way of doing things back then, they dug down to 1,115 feet, and there they struck a huge oil reserve. And the first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Makes Jed Clampett look poor. And somebody's, who's Jed Clampett? I apologize for that reference to the, the 60s. Many of the subsequent wells on that property were twice as large. And uh, 63 years later, the wells on Ira Yates' property had produced over one billion barrels of oil. And in the 90s, they were producing 27 million barrels of oil annually. 56 million feet, uh, cubic feet of natural gas. And Mr. Yates owned it all. But in 1926, before that crew came in, he didn't know that. He didn't know that underneath his land was all this, this mineral resource that can make him wealthy and it would change the lives of all kinds of people in the state of Texas and even around the world. He didn't realize that. He was a multimillionaire in a sense that was living in poverty because he just didn't know what he owned. The reason I tell you that story today is because I believe a lot of Christians live in spiritual poverty. We believe in Jesus and we believe he died for us and we've prayed and asked him to forgive us of our sins and we've had moments where we really experienced and felt that but yet we live lives day after day after day where we're defeated and discouraged and feel powerless and I believe it's because we have not realized that we have access to the very Spirit of Christ, the very Spirit of God who wants to come and live and dwell in us and flow over and through and in us so that we don't just live forgiven lives, we live victorious lives. And in fact, we believe that strongly in the church in the Nazarene. That's one of our distinctives, that we believe that there is more than just forgiveness. And that's, that is, I will say this, the grace of God and forgiveness, the most amazing thing any of us could ever know. But beyond that, Christ died and sent his Holy Spirit so that we would not have to live lives that are dominated by a sinful lifestyle and dominated by all kinds of things that pull us and drag us down and away from God. He came and he sent his Holy Spirit to give us victory and power in our daily lives. And that power can give us courage. The Holy Spirit gives courage. You can see that over and over in the book of Acts. Pastor Matt, I believe a couple of weeks ago, talked to you about Peter and John in those early days of the church and how they were bold and strong and God gave them courage. We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, there was a moment when they were brought in before the authorities because they were preaching in Jesus' name, which was considered blasphemy. And they brought him before them and they said, By what power or in whose name have you done this? In whose name have you healed the sick and proclaimed this message? And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Then Peter, catch this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, You've questioned us about healing the crippled man. 
Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you. Let me, ve- let me be very clear on this. He was healed by the power of Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. And there is salvation in no one else, he said. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And you know what they did? They said, listen, that's, that sounds nice, but you can't keep talking about this. You've got to quit preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. You can't proclaim this here in this, in this part of the world. You, in fact, they said, you've got to stop spreading this propaganda. But it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That's courage. They'd already spent some time in jail before that. They still said these words. They still continued to preach and proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. They'd spend time in jail and, and in fact, die martyrs' deaths for this because of the courage that God gave them. And we need to realize that as Christians, the Holy Spirit can give us boldness and courage that's beyond religion. That's beyond just church talk. It's power, the power of life and freedom to give to other people. Another thing that I see that's so wonderful in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit comes into difficult situations and comes into, into the lives of people with different kinds of backgrounds and personalities, lots of different things going on, and the Holy Spirit comes in and brings unity. He brings unity. If I backtrack a little bit, you need to recognize this, that on the day of Pentecost, one of the main things that happened and why the Holy Spirit came in, in such a new way and poured out and changed people's lives forever was it says that on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together. They were all unified. And even in their seeking the promise of Jesus, before it came, they were unified in that. And God honored that unity, and he continued to honor their unity. If you look at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says things like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshiped together daily at the Lord's temple. They met in their homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great generosity. All the people praised God. They enjoyed the goodwill of the people on the outside. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The unity of the believers attracted the people from the outside. They were unified. And look what they were unified in doing. They were unified in redemptive action in the name of Jesus. Look at the things it says they were doing. Selling what they had so they could give it to the poor. Providing for anyone who had a need. Daily meeting and praying and and looking at the teaching of the word of God and sharing with each other. 
and then sharing that with other people. That's at the end of Acts chapter 2. At the end of Acts chapter 4, you see almost the exact same thing beginning at verse 32. It says this, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Some of you might be thinking, I don't know if I want that much unity. But you see, they were so overcome and so filled and so empowered by the Holy Spirit that the world's priorities weren't their priorities. Their priorities were whatever the Spirit of Christ would lead them to do. And it says that they, they testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And listen to this. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the apostles the money to give to those in need. Unified, redemptive action. It brought unity. But it didn't just bring unity when everybody was, was feeling good in those early days about things. If you, if you go on over in the book of Acts, there's some difficult issues that are tackled. There were some, some big issues that they had to deal with, religion and race and authority. And, and what, what are we going to agree that we believe on? And what are going to be our practices together? And uh, in Acts chapter 15, there was a huge issue in the early church. And it involved really all of those things I just mentioned. It had to do with religion. It had to do with background, nationality, race, language. Uh, it, had to, it had to do with who has the authority and the right to say uh, you should do this or that. All of those things were coming together. And they had what's been called the council at Jerusalem in the early church in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas were there. Peter was, uh, was eventually there. And, and uh, James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the early church, was there. And, and many, many other people. And they came in. And they were, were not only trying to come together and see if they could find unity as a group, they were seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives that guidance. He can give it to a group of people. You know, I believe that's what we need to be seeking in this church. We need to take the attitude that, that you know, I, I don't have an agenda for this church other than what the Holy Spirit wants for this church. That needs to be my attitude and your attitude. And, and you should be praying that the leaders of this church, and especially your pastor, that I would know and we would know the mind of Christ. And that we would seek the Holy Spirit, not, not our own agendas. And you need to pray for that to, to take place. And I'll tell you what will begin to happen if we really seek that. We'll make a greater impact and difference in each other's lives and in the life of this community in Northwest Houston if we really seek the guidance and the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. See, they had a lot of big, big stuff going on. All those first believers in Christ were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. He came to his own people. According to the prophecy of the Old Testament and according to that line, those first believers that you read about on the day of Pentecost, almost all of them were Jewish people. They had their practices and standards and customs and traditions and the laws that they believe they should abide by from the Old Testament and many others that had been added on. And the question became this. As Paul and Barnabas and others were out in, in Greece and in Turkey and those kinds of places preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that didn't know the Jewish Scripture, 
to people that didn't know all those customs and all of those things. The question became, well, how much of this stuff are they going to have to do to be one with us? Are they going to have to do this and this and this? Are the adult men going to have to have surgery? And I guess I won't go into all of that. Some of you are smart enough to figure that out. In order to become a part of the church. Are they going to have to follow all, the, all of these rules and guidelines that we've had forever? And the Holy Spirit gave them direction and unity until you read in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, it says this. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now there's a good way to make group decisions. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. To lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals. We don't know really what all that's about because that hasn't been our practice. But there were certain things in the pagan world they said, look, when it comes to to this and the appearance that it gives, you need to let that go. And then from sexual immorality. Those were the two things. They could have come up with a list of a thousand or more things that were required, but instead, no, we're unified according to what the Holy Spirit's telling us to come together on just these few things. The Holy Spirit can give a group of people who have all different sorts of ideas and backgrounds and thoughts can give them unity and guidance to make decisions that will greater impact the world and their families and the people around them. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You know, but not only does the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts show that he gives guidance and unity to a group of people, he gives guidance to individuals. If you look over in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16 you find Paul and Silas in their travels of going out and preaching and teaching and trying to establish churches. And they're about to go into a certain region, but it says the, the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing so. And it said the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there, but instead led them to another place. And I want to make it real clear that I believe that the Holy Spirit of God, if we seek Him, can give everybody in this room individual guidance about decisions that you need to make about where you're going, where you're working, where you're spending your time, who you're associating with, what step God wants you to take, what act of service or, or mission He wants you to, to take up in your life. The Holy Spirit will give you individual guidance just as He did Paul and Silas. Just because their names are in the Bible doesn't mean that they're any different from you in needing the Holy Spirit's direction. And if you seek that, if you want it, He will give it to you. The Holy Spirit will do that. Now let me reemphasize something that I've said many times in 11 and a half years here. In fact, I'm going to test you a little bit. Let me think how to phrase this question. Let me see if this will work. What will the Holy Spirit, when He speaks to you, never contradict? Can somebody out loud tell me that answer? The Bible. He will not contradict the written Word of God. So if you think it's okay to do something that the Scripture has already said, and you say, well, I prayed about it, and I feel good about it. Well, let me tell you something. That feeling you've got is you. 
and the influence from somewhere else. It is not the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will always be in harmony with this. He will always speak in conjunction with the Word of God. So the direction He gives you will always be in harmony with that. It may go, in a sense, beyond it. Because not everything in the Bible is talked about. Your, the company you work in is probably not found in the Bible. The car you drive is probably not found in the Scripture. The name of the person that you're wondering about being in a relationship with or marrying is probably not in the Scripture. But the Holy Spirit will give you guidance on those things. And He'll do it in harmony with His Word. You say, Pastor, I, uh, I hear what you're saying, but if, if I'm honest with you, this whole business about the Holy Spirit sounds a little ethereal, a little ooh, out there. I just, it's a little too mysterious for me. I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't know if I quite get it or understand it or have that that connection. Well, the first thing you need to look at is examine your own heart. Have you humbled your heart before God and believed in Jesus Christ and seeking to follow Him? If you humble yourself before Him, He will speak to you and He will give you guidance. And you may not even know what to say or how to ask for it. I read a story not too long ago about um, a, a pastor from Scotland. His name was Sinclair Ferguson. And he said when he was a little boy, uh, he used to be taken uh, in the summers up to the northern coast of Scotland to see people from his mother's side of the family. And, and there, one of his mother's cousins, um, who had been very, very sick, and the illness that he had, in fact, uh, paralyzed him. And all of this happened just, just after he'd recently been married. Just after marriage, he got very, very sick, and whatever virus or disorder it was attacked his body, and he was basically paralyzed except for a little bit of limited movement of his head and one of his arms. He said there was only one thing that he could remember his cousin being able to do, and that was he could move his head a bit, and if, if someone put a cup of tea in his hand, he could move the tea just enough to sip it. He used to sit in his wheelchair. And from time to time, he said he would make just guttural noises, just involuntary noises. Uh, uh, uh. That's about all he could do to communicate. And Sinclair said as a boy, after I got over the fright and the fear of the unknown and the strange, this about my cousin. He said, I began to notice that every time those strange groans came from him, the woman that he'd married when he was 21 years old would appear. And it seemed almost by some mystical gift of interpretation, she would give him exactly what he needed. And Pastor Ferguson said that taught him the truth of the scripture that's found in Romans chapter 8, 26, and verses following there, where it says, We don't know how to pray sometimes. 
but we have in our spirit these groanings and utterings. And we don't even know exactly. We just know we need, we hurt, we desire. We don't even know what to say to God, but the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and our desires and our needs and gives us what we need. The Spirit, it says there in Romans chapter 8, helps us in our weakness. So if you don't get the whole thing about it, you don't have to understand it all. And if you don't even know exactly how to pray for what you want to see happen in your life according to God's will, just know this, the Holy Spirit can interpret your deepest needs and groans to Almighty God, and you can be provided with the guidance, the help, the peace, the strength that you need. The final thing I want to highlight that we're taught in the book of Acts about the Holy Spirit that coincides with the, the rest of the New Testament is this. The Holy Spirit connects us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit connects us to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, John devotes a, a huge section of his gospel to just a couple of hours that happened in the evening before Jesus gave his life on the cross. In John chapters 14 through 17, it's the, those moments that Jesus spent with his disciples in that upper room where the Last Supper, as we call it, took place and, and where he taught them and he prayed for them. And all throughout that teaching and that prayer on that night, again and again, he brings up the promise that God is going to send them a comforter. God is going to send them an advocate. God is going to send somebody to come alongside them and in them to be there for them so that they can do, as he said, even greater things than he did. And of the things that Jesus talked about in that, in that discourse in the Gospel of John, you can see over and over in the book of Acts how that came true. How he spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to the church and to the believers because that's what he does. He's the spirit of truth. And he'll take us out of deception. He convicted them of sin and convinced them of what was right. That's what the Holy Spirit does according to Jesus. He convicts us and lets us know when things are wrong and convinces us of what's true and what's right. He said he would be there and you would not be abandoned, but I would be with you always, he said. And this was so that the Holy Spirit would be known to be present in all circumstances and in all places for those who trust in him. And he said he will remind you of what I have said. And over and over again, the Holy Spirit does that with people that trust in Christ. You see, that's, that's who he is. That's what he does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said this, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I want to be free. And I want you to be free. I don't want us to be bound by our sins and addictions and habits and the messed up values of this world. I want us to have the freedom 
to live in a relationship with Christ that transforms us and our families and the people around us and ultimately our community and the world and the ends of the earth. When I came out of uh, seminary, when I was 24 years old, um, I had a lot of, uh, we'll call them convictions or beliefs. And at that time in my life, I had, I had very few questions. I kind of thought they'd all been answered. Or I thought I'd figured them all out. You know, it's, it's fun to be young and idealistic, isn't it? And, uh, and think you have things figured out. But over the years, over the years, I found that I have fewer and fewer convictions that I would lay down on the street and die for. Now, there's a few, and they're really big ones and important ones. But I've still got a lot of questions, and I keep having more. Because I realize I just don't have it all figured out. I haven't figured out everything about the Bible. I haven't figured out everything out about the church. And some of you would probably say that's for sure. I've also found this. I've found that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, can kind of continually keep me off balance. And it's actually a pretty cool thing. I haven't got God all figured out and boxed up. He's way too big for that. And he's capable of doing things that will still blow my mind. And when my eyes are open to him, he does it all the time. Sometimes as Christians, sometimes as churches, we're a little bit afraid of that. We really would like to keep things very compartmentalized, keep our life safe and in order. But I found out something about the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's similar to that line that C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia, I think in the line, Witch in the Wardrobe, when he's, t he's talking about Aslan, the Christ figure. And anything that's true about Christ is true about the Holy Spirit. And the question comes, uh, is he good? And the answer comes back, yes, he is good, but he's not safe. And the Holy Spirit is powerful and bold and strong, and he wants to make his people and his church good, but not safe. He wants to make us powerful and alive and not afraid and not concerned about what the world thinks all the time. And he wants to bring us out of our shells so that we can transform the world and the community around us. And to just say it in plain English this morning, I'm really hungry for more of the Spirit of God in my life and in the life of his church. And I pray that you are as well. Can you bow your heads with me?
Lord, I ask you this morning, on this day when we, uh, as a church, recognize your fulfillment of your promise to send your Holy Spirit to us, to surround us and to be in us, and over us and through us, I pray that um, you would awaken our hearts today. And I pray that we would each desire to have the power of the Holy Spirit filling our hearts and our lives. That we would be willing to surrender completely to your will and to recognize that, that beyond forgiving us of our sins, which is a, the greatest miracle, that you are ready to come in and dwell in our, in our hearts and our lives and our minds and that we can be captivated by you and know your strength and your power and that we could move beyond so many of the, the things that weigh us down and bring us down, the things that don't bring life, and that we could instead find your strength and your grace to be more real than it ever has. And so I ask for power. I ask for courage. I ask for unity and guidance for your people, for your church. And I ask for it in my own life, Lord. Teach me daily who you are, how great you are, and the good and great things you want to do in and through my life. And I pray that you do that for each of us today. And may these words be true, Lord. May this be our prayer. I want to know you. Let your spirit overwhelm me. Let your presence overtake my heart. May it be so.